Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. to another episode of Surviving Chick Flicks. We're not dead. <laughs> I am John. I'm Sammy. And Joseph's not with us, but we swear he's not dead. I assume he, he was he was alive when I last saw him. Sammy, what have you been doing? Um, uh, he was alive last he texted. Alright, I'll believe you this time. <laughs> but I do hear that Sock Puppet Joseph will be joining us. So Sock Puppet Joseph may make a may make an appearance. Um I am now literally, literally looking for a sock. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, given that he watched the movie, he actually had to do the worst part of what it is we do. So, <laughs> actually watching the movie. Exactly. I thought the worst part was the editing. You know, and the part that I suck at. I don't know. You do that, so. All right. Well, this week we are talking about a 2021 slash 2022 film. Uh, one that got Oscar attention at the most notorious and recent uh, Oscars. Uh, sure, that will come up later. But this week we are talking about the Norwegian um, romantic comedy drama, The Worst kind Person in the World. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the film is called The Worst Person in the World. I'm not going to try and pronounce the, Nor- the Norwegian name. Uh, or should I try? It's. Verdens Versta Miniska. That sounds right. Um, yeah. I, I, I hate to alienate our Norwegian listener. So, so anyway, um, yeah, we, we can debate whether or not this film's accurately placed in several genres. Uh, I, I, I don't question drama, but romantic and comedy, I think there's some questions. <laughs> Some massive uh, questions. I don't even. I don't even question the romantic so much, mm-hmm. because technically romance does exist in the film, but um, comedy most definitely. All right. Well, why don't we play the trailer and then uh, we will uh, try to dissect this film. Let's go, Pada. Okay. Okay. Hold it. Hold it. Vi åker ut, tror du? Vi åker det. Jag åker det. Nej. I said goodbye to me. I looked in the mirror. Then I began to cry. I leave my things behind for all to see and hope that she will understand why. The game is like changing the name of your favorite song. Men då, om du är glad i mig, om du älskar mig, så då fixar vi allt det andra. Ja, jag älskar dig, men jag älskar dig inte. 
vad du ödelägger av. Ja, selvfølgelig. All right, the worst person in the world. No, they didn't make a movie about me. Haha. Starring Renata Reinsva, Anders Danielson Leith, Herbert Nordrum, and directed by Joachim Trier. Why not? Usual question. Sammy, when was the first time you watched this film? Um, actually, less than 24 hours ago. Yeah, because the option, because the other option on the table was you answering. I just finished it. The credits are still rolling. <laughs> I'm not quite that bad. You you had some photo finishes. This is true. Yeah. So um, this film, weirdly enough, played in our hometown. Um, this film was nominated for um, Best International Film. Um, used to be called Best Foreign Language Film. I had no hope of this movie coming to where we live because it's our theater. Uh, I felt, sl- slight tangent. Uh, I found this old clip of like an, an old newspaper clipping from our local paper back whenever they used to run the movie times for the different theaters in our town. And here's a novel concept. All of the theaters were playing different movies. Huh. Yeah, they don't do they don't do it was just like, oh, if we want to see Lethal Weapon 2, we have to go to the one that's a CBS station next to the KFC. Or if we want to go see, you know, something else, we gotta go to Cinema Five. And now I I remember uh, do you remember when that Grinch animated movie came out? Uh no. Uh it was about three years ago it was the one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as the Grinch. And I counted no shit. Like, every single theater had multiple showings of it. And it was something like you had 30 opportunities in a single day to catch a screening in this movie. And I was just like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, my I mean, gosh. The Gr- yeah. I mean, The Grinch wasn't bad. And I under, like, I understand it when it's a Marvel movie. But The Grinch, I was just like, do you think they're that starved for Christmas entertainment? They'll just go see anything? The answer was yes. Um, I don't know. I just, I kind of miss those... Uh, that bygone era where, you know, films just lasted in the theater for a while and, you know, not everything was a multiplex. So in the shame, showing the same six movies. Well, you, like, you know, as it was on its dying breath, I think COVID, um, you know, took the last stab, finished it off. No, it, it died a long time ago. COVID, COVID just meant, oh, you're going to have many, many opportunities to see this one film desperately clinging <laughs> to a theatrical time slot because the theater had no other option. Yeah, because they weren't making but, films. But speaking of which, apparently they made Well, no, this. they were... They did. They were making a, a lot of films during COVID because, um, you know, Tom Cruise had a shit fit in the middle of one and I'm sort of on his side because people weren't following COVID restrictions and he was tired of shit being delayed. Now that was Mission Impossible 6. 
but I understand his being angry because I think I saw the three year anniversary of the Top Gun Two trailer premiering, and we just now got that damn thing in the movies. But anyway, back to my original point that I was going on. Um, so a lot of the foreign language and Oscar nom like the the non Marvel and non franchise and non sequel stuff that gets nominated for Oscars. The rule used to be if it got nominated for Best Picture, it would come here. And there was one foreign language film that did get the uh, Best Picture nod. It was a Japanese film called Drive My Car. And I was like, cool, I'm going to get to see that. And then I'll get to see Worst Person in the World. Because I had heard about this film and I was wanting to see it. But I was like, eh, there's no way this is going to come where we live. So this will be something I catch on Hulu or wherever, whenever it's finally available. Anyway, cut to the Oscar nominations. Uh, Drive My Car got the nom, but um, it was premiering on HBO in like a matter of weeks. So they didn't bring that one, but they brought this one. Uh, And apparently it was, whenever I was seeing it, it wasn't uh, some kind of like expansion for Oscar nominees. That was the American premiere. So we we actually got this movie in our hometown as the movie was opening on, you know, in America. So... I'm counting this as a 2022 film, and uh, I'm kind of keeping track of the films I see this year that are released this year. In what I so we'll discuss wh- uh, where I put it on on the list later. So, but I actually got to see this film in theaters, and um, in preparation for this slightly delayed episode, <laughs> I watched this movie about four times in preparation for the episode, including the one where you and I watched it last night, and five altogether. So I'm kind of ready to put, regardless how I feel about this movie, I'm kind of ready to put it to bed for a a week or two. Yeah, I can understand that, and I've only watched it Mm -hmm. once. So honestly, I gotta give you props. Yeah. Well, the last time I watched it was the one where I was taking notes, and this this film is just a little over two hours, and it took me four as I was making the notes for the film, so. That's dedication, people. Also, this film is 98% in Norwegian, so. You have to pay attention. Yeah. There there was no Candy Crush during this film. I may have played some Candy Crush last night, but that was because I've seen this movie. Although, I think by the final time that you watch it, I feel like you have it half memorized. Um, to agree. (laughs) So, anyway, um, so for those who don't know uh, what this movie is, this movie is a drama mostly about the character Julie, played by Renata Reinsva. Um, in the film, she is a m- medical student who drops being, who goes from studying medicine to studying psychology to ultimately studying uh, sci- photography. This leads her to meeting a lot of different people, and she meets a comic book writer named Oxel, played by uh, Anders Danielson Lie. They fall in love, but at the same time, she also meets this barista named Elvin, played by Herbert Nordrum, who she also falls in love with. And the film is structured in 12 chapters, plus a prologue and an epilogue, kind of navigating both relationships in a search for what ultimately makes her happy. 
and to annoy Sammy, it's also about her turning 30. Yeah, frankly, that was just rude. Um, I, I think my favorite part of watching it last night was you uh, being annoyed that they were talking about her turning 30, and then it was like the mothers, like her her ancestors to the ages, what happened to them as they turned 30. You know, and I've like been on a, a stream of films, and it's it's not intentional, it's accidental. Since my last birthday, which has nothing to do with this conversation. Not at all. Not at all relevant. Where um, it's like about girls turning 30 or almost being 30 and going through some kind of like existential life crisis because they feel like they're way behind everybody else and they don't know what they're doing. And by 30, you're supposed to have it figured out. And, you know. Uh, As someone who turned 40... Just recently, I I would say that that's kind of a trope that does need to die. The making making a the film trope that you have to have your life sorted out by thirty, or that you're supposed to know what you're doing, and you're supposed to have done this. And it's like the no one's creating an actual timeline. You know, you don't have to have done anything by any point. And then then suddenly coming to the realization that. You know, everybody's on their own timeline, and it doesn't really matter, and nobody has it figured out. Yeah. So, I've got a question for you, and uh, okay. I want I want a real answer, not a joke answer. Because I know the joke answer is, whenever I ask you to watch this movie, um, I know it was, you know, homework. The answer was homework. But what were you expecting this movie to be? Like, did you know anything about this movie before I put it? I didn't on the know schedule? anything about this movie because I do not watch foreign films. Um, That's why I'm here. Yeah, right. So I didn't really know anything about this film. Um, the most, the closest to a foreign film I've ever watched is *Inglorious Bastards*. I, um, a fantastic woman is entering the chat. Oh yeah, right. Oops, sorry. <laughs> um, forgot about that. Like I don't know one. what I expected. I think I expected a little bit more comedy. I think I expected something not necessarily more uplifting, but that had a little bit more like light to it, a little bit more breath. You know, a lot of times these films will have some kind of comic relief. They'll have something in there so that you can take a breath through all the heavy. This film didn't really have that. Um, I, I think it had some. It had some. Yeah, and it's not a knock to the film or the filmmaker. Not every film needs that. Um, you know, I know we have a couple coming up this year that specifically don't have it because that's just not the type of films they are. But as far as expectations, you know, that was, I guess, something I I was expecting. I guess I was expecting to be a little more disconnected to it than I was. Not that I loved these characters or anything. But, um, you know, I mean, it was a very normal, very easy story to connect with. It could have been... And, and I don't mean that it should have been done in English. I mean, the same story could have been told by multiple different cultures, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I think some of this is a little bit very specifically Norwegian, because uh, uh, there was a couple of, there was one point uh, Elvin dropped a line about um, him liking something. And I was just like, I'm sure that line was hysterical in Norway. But, you know, in any sexes, it doesn't mean shit. <laughs> but. Right. Like, some of the stuff, I'm sure, just didn't connect with us. Mm. 
Yeah. So did you know that this is the third film in a trilogy? I did not know that. Um, wait, so there was two other parts to this that came before it? No, it is the third film in a trilogy, but it's not all trilogies are necessarily connected stories. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Like uh, director Ingmar Bergman uh, had a very specific trilogy within his massive filmography that did share some overall themes, um, usually like the loss of God kind of stuff. Um, and uh, Park Chan-wook had what was called the Vengeance Trilogy, uh, which were Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, and Lady Vengeance. And they, they were connected by themes. This, this trilogy was called the Oslo Trilogy, which was uh, director Joachim Trier, and I am going to uh, mangle this poor man's name, but his co-writer, Eskel Vogt, um, they, they collaborate a lot, but they made three films that were very specifically set in Oslo. Um, one was a 2006 film called Reprise, and the one I had actually heard of before this, but never actually seen, uh, that was a 2000 film, a 2011 film called Oslo, August 31st, in which, um, with this one also starred Anders Danielson Lee, who played Oxel, and Renata Reinsva had a very small part in it. She basically had one line of dialogue in it. Um, and all three are separate films. You don't have to watch any of them to understand them. It was just that all of them were set in Oslo, and they were different Oslo stories. And uh, it was never made, intentionally made as a trilogy. It just sort of happened. Oh, that's really unique. Yeah, and, and a lot of directors uh, are there. I was gonna, I, I'm gonna stop myself before I say that, but there have been filmmakers throughout time. They have the trilogy or the series because you know, once upon a time, you know, Kevin Smith has his view of his Askewniverse saga, which you know, Clerks, Mallrats, Dogma, those films. Inside of filmography, it also includes Jersey Girl and Cop Out and. Um, Oh, he has another, he has his own trilogy within all that called the True North trilogy, which has begun with uh, Tusk and Yoga Hosers, and is allegedly ending with the third part that he I don't even know if he's written the script, but it's called Moose Jaws, which is Jaws but with a moose. That's the pitch. So okay, yeah, but you know sometimes. Directors will hit on a theme and make a series of, and either accidentally or on purpose have films within that theme or setting, and it becomes their fill in the blank trilogy. Lars von Trier has several. Um, I can't remember what the last trilogy he made was called. I, it was either like the Death Trilogy or the Depression Trilogy, but it was Antichrist, Melancholy, and Nymphomaniac. And I was like, Yep, all three of those movies are depressing. So, yeah, hit the nail on the head there, buddy. I guess I was kind of thinking more along the lines of when you think trilogy, like, that's not, is that, um, what is it, Ethan Hawke and... Um, oh, like, yeah, Julie Delpy, the Before Sunrise, right, um, yes. Sunset, and Midnight. Yeah, you know, a continuing theme, anything can be a, a trilogy. And sometimes okay, the trilogies so get drug out. <laughs> 
One one thing I found very interesting about this movie, and maybe you can speak to why it was done this way, mm-hmm. is that it was done in chapters. So it felt very much like a book. It, it, it did, and I, I think it was like halfway through the movie where I, I said, you know, this movie kind of reminds me of a book, which is a point I had in my head like weeks before, and I was just like, I need to say that at a certain point. Um, I, I don't know why they did that. I know a lot of directors sometimes do tell their stories in chapters. Like Tarantino, um, since Kill Bill has, you know, well, every film, like his films from Kill Bill through Hateful Eight, with the exception of Death Proof, all of them are told in chapters. Um, Lars von Trier has always told his films in chapters. It's just uh, a stylistic choice they went with, but I like the fact that they did that. I thought it helped... I like that each story is like its own separate contained little thing, even though it is building to the overall arcing story. I felt in a film that, you know, if you don't speak the language, it kind of helped you. It kind of helped you keep track of the timeline. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the actual timeline of this movie is. I feel like it's at least a couple of years. You know, long enough for you know Julie to have two major relationships and a Christmas in between them, <laughs> and for a baby to be born. It wasn't born. Oh. No, think about it—the epilogue. That is true. Forgot about that one. So I would say at least from prologue to epilogue was probably you're probably right. It was at least a minimum of two or three years. Yeah, if not longer, because you know when this movie starts, she's a medical student. And then a psychology student and a photography student, four or five years from prologue I mean, it to usually epilogue. Could have been. She only they only show her go through one birthday, but yeah. So um, in the prologue, um, at one point, Renata Reinsman's character Julie um, talks about surgery being so much like carpentry. The funny thing about that is that line is actually a nod to Renata Reinsman's real life. Uh, she was very close to giving up on acting and was remodeling a house and started working as a carpenter. She is a carpenter. <laughs> really? Yeah. And she wasn't planning on, you know, she kind of fell in love with, with that and was doing that. And then uh, Joachim Trier just like randomly showed up one day and he was like, I have an idea. <laughs> and led to this How did film. he know her? Because she was in Oslo, August 31st. Oh, okay. Yeah, they had worked together before. And so, uh, one thing I will say, I don't, you know, maybe it took multiple times watching it, but let me ask you, the first time that you watched the film, were you clear on all the relationships between all the different people and what was going on, like, chronologically? Because I didn't even know that was his parents' house. Um... N- Yes and no. I mean, uh, the, the easy ones to keep track of are obviously Julie, Oxel, Elvin's, Elvin's girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend, her mom, her dad. Like, those were easy to keep track of. The people at his parents' house, it wasn't until the third or fourth viewing where I realized, okay, they're at his family's house, so I'm assuming this is his family. It'd be weirder if it was just like a bunch of his friends showed up at his parents' house. <laughs> also, um, I don't know what it is, but whenever it, it opens, that the, 
because that's in the first chapter. <laughs> Whenever you see the house, they're all staring at. They're all staying in. <laughs> I'm just like, this is a horror movie, right? Because that's a horror movie house. That's. <laughs> it feels like this is like in some art a house in some artsy horror film. Do what? I said it was incredibly creepy. On top of his dad's like inappropriate comments. Yeah. Well, and also I do. We do have to remember that we are Americans watching this in the you know watching Norwegian speak in Norwegian. So it's possible some of that was tongue in cheek. I don't know how much of it is tongue in cheek. I could be completely wrong, but I always kind of give that benefit of the doubt, like because. I think if he had been completely serious, she wouldn't have had, you know, a joking comeback for him for his mansplaining, womansplaining. I guess that's fair. You know, because we don't speak a language, it is... I, I have heard a, this criticism before of people not wanting... And I'm not saying you. I'm saying I've heard people who don't like watching foreign films just like, how do you know this performance is good when you don't speak the language? And my answer to that is, watch anything... That's foreign dubbed in English. Um, there's a horror movie on Netflix right now called Incantation that um, some people are liking. And Netflix was kind of enough to offer not just the original English, the original, um, I think, Indonesian track, but also the uh, English dub. And I watched it in the English dub. And it's just like, oh, these are some, it's, like, it's a bad vocal performance. Uh- well, I mean, I think that makes sense. There's already some sometimes like kind of a cultural disconnect. Mm-hmm. But what I but what, what I do appreciate about a film like this is they usually tend to try and highlight the ways in which we're similar. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of this that is extremely relatable. Specifically, um, we can get into this. One of the things I found to be the most absolutely realistic about this is how, and I and I don't think people always appreciate this, how important timing is in a relationship. You know, you can love somebody, but meeting them and being with them at the right time in your life is extremely important. Because if you think about it, her and um, however you pronounce his name, Axel, yeah, they wanted the same things in life. Like, there was not a whole lot they disagreed on as far as what they wanted. They both wanted kids. You know, they both wanted that kind of life, but she was young. She was, you know, just about to turn 30. She wasn't ready for that, and he was Mm -hmm. 10 years older. Then she comes across and meets this other guy who's fun, and she's attracted to him, and he's not ready to settle down yet, and he doesn't want kids. Um, And he's much more at her stage in life. Well, Mm -hmm. turns out, you know, that um, he would have, I guess, been ready to have kids because clearly he has one. And she also gets pregnant and breaks up with him because of that reason. So I just think mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to me because people talk about, oh, well, age is just a number. And I do think it is. And obviously people have overcome those barriers. But when people question people about their age difference, it's not just them being judgmental all the time. I think a lot of times it's because people know the practical issues that can come up, like kids and where you are in your life and what you still want to do they can become like huge massive barriers to yeah and it's also kind of interesting to see in the real world that age gaps make you know 
be less and less of a, a barrier. Like, you know, a 19-year-old dating a 29-year-old, there is a huge gap. Right. And that, that 10 years is important because, you know. It's formative. Too- you basically go from being a child to an adult. Yeah. 29 to 39, there's still a little bit of a disconnect, but not as much. And then once that 39 to 49 gap starts happening, no one gives a shit. You're both adults. Right. Like, if they had met when she was 35 and he was 45, it may not have Mm -hmm. been the same kind of issues. No. Although that might have been interesting had she been 35, a little bit closer to Oxel's age, but still wanting to have this fling with the young man. Right. What, so, did you like the chapter um, aspect of this? You know, each you know, with each one being kind of its own story. I did. Uh, like I said, I think that it kind of helped with the chronology of everything. Otherwise, it might have been difficult mm-hmm. to follow. Um, and it made you feel like you were sort of walking through this period of her life with her. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and I can remember whenever we, uh, I was watching in the theaters and you get to chapter, like, nine, you're just like, holy shit, we have zipped by. Well, and also, um, it kind of, like, each of them were aptly named for, like, what happened in that specific chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of which were, like, incredibly short. Some of them are were a lot longer, but... Um, yeah. No, I I think that helped. And I mean, it was a very it's a very postmodernistic story. There's a lot of talking, a lot of um realism about it. Um it was very much walking you through like a normal person's day-to-day life in snippets. Yeah. And sometimes those are the films I like best, you know, just those you know, set kind of more grounded, the day to day stuff, or especially those that are like set in just like a 24 hour period. Right. Which those are hard to do. I think there's a space for it, and they can be really, really compelling because um, people connect to them. Mm-hmm. And then again, they can also um, flop if they're not done correctly. Yeah. Kind of like, and I'm not by any means saying this is a flop. I'm saying I did not care for it, although I very much appreciated how it was done. Was it called Boy? Is that what it was? Uh, you mean Boyhood. Boyhood, yes. I, I, I like Boyhood, but I will also admit that film is kind of a chore to get through sometimes. Um, that being said, he is, Linklater is doing that again with a musical. Oh, my God. Yeah, um, he's doing a film adaptation of, uh, I think it's called Merrily We Roll Along or something like that. And they're filming it like, you know, a few days a year for, I think, 10 years. Because he wants everyone to age naturally. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, I, kudos to the concept. You know, that you I can pull appreciate it, off, it but that it's like. What if someone dies? Right. Like, Aging in films is not that bad. You don't have to be this pretentious. I, I love Richard Linklater to death. Yes, he does. I, I mean, I've seen what that man has made. Yeah, he kind of does have to do that. 
I'm not saying that's a requirement. I'm just saying that's how his brain works. Oh my. Well, but also kudos to him. I mean, the man made Slacker and Dazed and Confused and the Before trilogy. I don't care what. Oh, in School of Rock. I don't care what he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So let me ask this: um, mm-hmm. Did the film end like you expected? Um, what I love about foreign films, um, as opposed to like the Hollywood stuff, is that. The Hollywood stuff is sometimes very easy to predict. You don't always get it. Um, and then, like like a Hallmark movie, I could guess almost beat for beat what's going to happen. Because, and I'm not saying this is an insult, I'm just saying I, how they operate, they make their movies on as a formula. Right, so, which is okay. Yeah. Um, and like, some horror movies you can that are kind of again not saying formulaic is a bad thing but you can kind of pick up you know you can try to pick out who's going to be your final final girl um with foreign films i don't always know where they're going to land um so i i kind of will i don't try to figure it out i just sometimes i'm like they're going to tell me what they want me to know um and it comes down to whether I like what they did versus trying to figure out. So I had no idea. I yeah. I didn't see the cancer storyline coming in. I didn't see the pregnancies. I, I you can tell the pregnancy story storyline was going to happen, but it could have been with either of them because they both had the conversation about having kids. Right. Um, so I didn't know specifically where it was going to go, and I like right. It's kind of the refer- exception of like, yeah. I was going to say with the exception of like Friday the Thirteenth movies, I know where those are going to go, and I'm watching them for that specific reason. I'm like, I just want to watch thirty year olds playing teenagers get mute, get killed by a hockey mask wearing maniac. Right. So for the same reason, I watched Hallmark movies. Yeah, we we like the formulaic stuff because. It's safe and comfortable, and we know, and it's filling a need. Whereas, um, God, this is going to sound so pretentious, and anybody listening that remembers this show is probably going to agree with me. But there was a podcast called Left Field Cinema. I used to love it, and he and the host of that show. I'm not going to name him, uh, but he would go go on. But they were like little mini reviews and and essays about usually art house film. And he once described as watching stuff like like this or more more like Bergman's Winterlight or Andre Tarkovsky films or you know the really heavy art house stuff and more cerebral stuff. He described it as taking his brain to the gym. And while I kind of roll my eyes at that sentence a little bit, it's I can't come up with a better way of putting why, as someone who grew up watching these same six Police Academy movies on a perpetual loop, I'm now attracted to stuff like Bellatar's Satan Tango, a seven-and-a-half-hour black-and-white Hungarian film that moves at the pace of molasses. So... But I, I get it. But I'm I also don't discount stuff like Marvel or you know Fast and the Furious because I'm like 
there is time for that as well as, you know, stuff like this. Right. One thing, one thing I found to be kind of unique about this film, and I don't know what his inspiration was, but you might be able to tell me, and this is something we rarely talk about on this podcast, is the actual cinematography. Oh, God. I, I was going to gush about this in what we like best about the movie, but we can talk about that right now. Go for it. I don't know yeah. if he had a particular inspiration, but it was just, it was particularly well executed. Okay, so I can't speak to a lot of where uh, Trier's head was because um, I bought this on Voodoo. It was four ninety nine. And so it didn't have any extras. I know this has just been released on Blu-ray via Criterion Collection. So there might be a, a commentary on there. So I don't have like this long explanation of where this came from and why this and why that. I basically have the movie and what little bit of knowledge I got from like this one like 20-minute podcast. And a lot of that and about a third of that was the host doing setup. So, so I don't know why he did certain things he did, but I love certain, I love the look of this film, but there is one, there are a couple of fantasy sequences and one I love a little bit more than the other. I, I said this last night and I'll say it again. There, there used to be a show called Anatomy of a Scene and I think it either ran on IFC or the Sundance Channel, but what it would be is it would take a certain, it would take a movie talk about what, you know, kind of break down what the movie was, talk about this one scene, show you the scene, and then how they did it. I wish we had an anatomy of, of scene for the fantasy sequence where she freezes everybody and, and runs off to spend the day with Elvind. And everyone, and they just follow her through Oslo. And, you know, like, it's just them in this moment in time, even though they're surrounded by people. And knowing the fact that they shot this during COVID and were able to pull this off, it's, it's a fantastic, it's, it was fantastic, you know, COVID or no COVID. And I just wish I had more insight about that. Cause I could watch that scene on a loop because it's just so cool the way they did it. I, I don't, I can't think of a smarter way to say it. It was like, it was just cool. <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful. Like I, I really liked it. And here's the thing. I mean, I've, I've probably said this a million times. I do not like when directors are artistic for the sake of being artistic. I'm talking to you, Wes Anderson. When it comes I hope your barista to doesn't hear that and she's going to spit in your coffee. <laughs> when it comes to something like this and, and they want to take some artistic liberty with a specific scene for a specific purpose... I have much more appreciation for that because it's it's yeah. very intentional. Yeah, well, I I like a little artsiness now and then. Now, you insulted Wes Anderson, and and I, I will I'm, continue to. And the two wolves inside of me, one is agreeing with you, and the other one is yammering at that, is barking at the other wolf. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> there's, I like Wes Anderson, but I've also seen a good chunk of Wes Anderson's films and I'm just, some of them I'm just like really this this is what we're doing I mean Wes Anderson is to me 
as Baz Luhrmann is to you. Like, yeah, but the difference is, is here lately I have said kind things about two Baz Luhrmann films. That's fair. I say kind things about, um, what's it called? It was uh, Edward Norton. I know he's in a lot of his films. Oh, um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. All right, so since it's over, was, I can say nice things about Moonrise Kingdom. Okay. I can think I can say nice things about Moonrise Kingdom, and I'm sure there's some other ones, maybe possibly. I would love. Have you seen Royal Tenenbaums? Because to me, that's no. the best. All right, I I would because it has the um, Woody um, the Wes Anderson uh, artistic douchebaggery, but it's not as bad as uh, it's like the beginnings of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, even though, I mean, his style does exist from everything he's done, from Bottle Rocket to the French Dispatch, but the Royal Tenenbaums seems to be the... Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore seem to be the two that even the normies liked. Um, I would also like to see how long you may make it through the French Dispatch before you throw something at me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I have nothing nice to say about the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, that movie's fine. Sure. I I didn't like the one on with on the submarine. Point being, the artistic the artistic choices made in this film mm. made sense. They added value to the film, and mm-hmm. they were used sparingly. Yeah, you you can be too artsy and sometimes and you can also be not artsy enough and then you can be whatever the hell happened in the French Dispatch (laughs) but while we're insulting uh, Wes Anderson I'm going to get my licks in too (laughs) I still don't know what the point of that was (laughs) come at me film bros you there was a question I assumed you were going to ask and you didn't and I was prepared for it okay why is this called the worst t- person in the world? You know, that did cross my mind. Um, I, I'd kind of come to the conclusion that I think it was because all of these main characters in some form or fashion viewed themselves that way. Especially um, the, the main female character. But if you have an actual answer. I have an actual answer. Even though uh, Elvin did uh, say in the movie he d- did feel like the worst person in the world at one point. Um, the, ti- the title, as Trier explained, is a nod to the grand Norwegian tradition of self-depreciation in which someone who fails at even the most menial of tasks self-flagellates and pronounces himself the worst person in the world. Plus, he likes the dichotomy of the title and a film that is about love and passion. Okay. Yeah. I, I specifically did Google that. I was just like, is there an explanation for the title? Because Sammy's going to ask. Well, because, I mean, I kind of like the way they set it up with her. Mm-hmm. Thought that she sort of felt that way. Because she really, she did what all young people do now. Which is, she didn't know what she wanted to do. She was kind of aimless. She moved from major to major. Mm-hmm. She, and boyfriend to boyfriend. Um she was just a little lost and aimless and was made to feel guilty about that by... Yeah. Society. Right. And her parents. Um, So... Well, I think only one parent gave a shit about her. Well, that's fair. But, um, 
So that was um kind of the conclusion I'd come to. So do we want to move on into categories? Yeah, I think so. I think we've covered most of what we wanted to talk about in the beginning uh, portion. Yeah, and there's some that I can cover in the... Alrighty, so this is going to be a unique one for this week, but we start where we always start. Did John like the soundtrack? Alright, so I think about two weeks ago when we started uh, saying we were going to do an episode on this movie, I said, I have a tangent related to the movie, and it was related to this section. Um, The short answer to the actual question you asked is yes. Um... I actually, some some kind human being, um, possibly related to the film, put together a playlist of absolutely every song in the soundtrack. And it is a very eclectic, very cool collection of music from all over the world, plus two Harry Nelson songs for some reason. <laughs> but this movie put me on a deep dive um, because I kind of like, to discover music from other countries. Like I'm kind of low key obsessed with like the Australian music scene because I, and I have only scratched the surface, but like Australia has a whole a music scene that is just an entire other world. And so with that mindset, I'm like, well, so does every other country. So I went into Spotify and I was just like, all right, give me all the Norwegian music. And then I looked at what was number one on the Norwegian charts, and it was The weekend. and I was just like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, so I went to Wiki and was looking up Norwegian music that wasn't fucking black metal, because the, the biggest musical uh, output out of uh, Norway that isn't AHA, the band that did Take On Me, is Norwegian black metal, and I don't want to do and. I am familiar enough with that, but I was, I wanted to get like Norwegian pop, Norwegian, uh, you know, all the different genres. And the one that stuck out to me the most was Norwegian country music. And I was just like, Oh, what is this? And, and I found a couple of people. I, I, I went as deep of a dive as the Wikipedia article would let me before it just becomes like, just pure Norwegian folk. Um, but there was one lady, and I didn't commit her name to memory, but most of her stuff was country music covers, but sung in, Nor- in the Norwegian language. And that was interesting for about two songs. <laughs> so, But uh, one band I found that was really cool, they're called Hellbillies. And they they sound like country music. They sound like a little bit of Southern rock. They have kind of a mixture. It was like, what if the Eagles leaned a little bit less into rock and a little bit more into country? That that's kind of how I would okay. describe the music. But and the, the the lead singer, bless him, he tries to sound like he's singing country music, but there are just some words that can only be spoken in like a Norwegian dialect. But um, it was really cool. I mean, like, none of it's in English that I found, but I, I thought it was really cool. And I should have played some for you last night, but I'll have to But check them out. I mean, it's worth at least I'll listen. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I also found some Norwegian hip-hop that was kind of cool. Um, so, it, it was kind of fun, and I kind of 
I kind of want to do this deep dive on like some other countries as well. And also, if anyone is familiar with the Norwegian music scene, please send me more suggestions than Wikipedia had. So, since we don't, we only have Sock Puppet Joseph this week, I'm assuming we don't have the Rotten Tomato score, but do we have a Roger Ebert review? Probably not. Well, if- we have something from his website. Well, if you'll give me a second, we we have I have one of the two scores. Um, I need to look up the audience score, but I do have the critical score in front of me. If you would like to guess what you think, uh, the critics give this movie. Okay, um, I'm going to say the critics rated it pretty highly, with like an eighty-nine percent. And sock puppet Joseph, what do you think? Ninety-one. Well. I'm glad you ordered it because you, you answered for it because I'm like, I'm staring at the answer. I, do I lie? Do I Dog puppy give Joseph the actual... going through puberty this week, by the way, so he sounds a little squeaky. Okay. Well, you're, you, Sock Puppet Joseph was slightly closer. Um, critics gave this, uh, the critical score for this is a 96% out of 233 critics. But what do you think the audience score is? Like a 90%. Okay, does Sock Puppet Joseph have a guess? 87. I want him to lose him. Well, once again, Sock Puppet Joseph is closer than real person Sammy. (laughs) Uh, The critical (laughs) score for this is an 86%. I can't even beat a Sock Puppet. (laughs) (laughs) You you tried. So, um, so Roger Ebert uh, is obviously no longer with us, so he did not see this film, so therefore I do not have an actual review from him. But RogerEbert.com is still alive and well, and he and it has a collection of writers writing for that website. And Carlos Aguilar for RogerEbert.com gave the movie four stars out of four. And he said, each chapter in The Worst Person in the World feels like a complete, unique thought. It's encapsulating something real in an unrealistic... and Oh, encapsulating something real in unrealistic visual terms like the tracks on a on an eclectic album which even if they vary in tone comprise a cohesive whole okay now i now i know we have sock puppet joseph here but i really wish we had real person joseph right now because i started searching for another critic specifically for him and it has been every week uh, we don't have an Armand White review. On the week Joseph is out sick, we have an Armand White review. And um, the short answer is Armand White was not a fan of this movie. Uh, All right. Yeah. Um, he, his review ends saying, Trier is not new at sucking up to social trends and... Some kind of influence. His 2016 film, Dilemma, uh, about a self-denying teenage lesbian mix-up sci-fi speculation with sadomasochism to reveal the source of a young girl's power over her oppressors. Julie corrects that victimization. Her carefree duplicity very much suggests the worst practices in a Beltway training film. She's an archetype of what mainstream media suggests all hashtag MeToo women should be because its title is Absolute Gen Z Sarcasm Trier's training film could also be titled Despicable Me Without Irony. That's the man that kept Toy Story 3 from having a 100% Rotten Tomatoes. I knew Armin was going to rear his ugly head at some point in the show, but it had to be this week. All right, so I guess we can move on into our final segments. 
unless I'm forgetting yeah. anything, which I might be. So, John. Uh, see, we've done the soundtrack. We've done the um, Rotten Tomato scores, Ebert and Armand. Um, have, did we? Because ha- I know we had talked about adding a new segment to this movie, even though it was not re- or to the show. Do we have anything that qualifies for our new segment, or can, do we delay its unveiling? I think we do, so go for it. Okay, Sammy, did anything in this movie make you say, well, that's bullshit? Yes. Okay. Um, specifically, the, um, well, there was honestly a couple things. Um, specifically, the very, very odd scene where they both decide to watch each other pee. <laughs> Damn, I knew we should have unveiled that after Best uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. <laughs> yeah, we can so, get to that in um, there. I mean, that that scene can be used more than once. It was it was a lot. I mean, I understand why that. I understand that they were going for something. I just, I don't know if this was the, the execution was all that great. I don't so know wait. what they were going for, though. Okay, so that sequence, the sequence where she crashed the uh, wedding party, the two had an immediate attraction, but they both said, we are in relationships. But they were so horny for each other, they were like, let's test the limits of cheating, like what qualifies and what doesn't. And I believe my answer um, at a certain point was all of this is cheating. (laughs) Yeah. Like all of that is technically cheating, but they took it to some weird degrees and I can't decide which is the weirdest. Them watching each other pee or, or them sniffing each other's armpits. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's at the tie. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily bullshit or it's just a what? What are you doing? Or is that just like a Norwegian thing we're not aware of? I don't know if I want to know the answer to that question. So, well, I'll tell you what. When I'm on my first date with R- Renata Reinsva, because yeah, I. I <laughs> I very much uh, thought she was gorgeous. Uh, I will ask her, so uh, the armpit scene, is that like a Norwegian thing? Or uh, is, did Joachim just have some interesting weed that, that week when he was writing that? All right, so. Best line, worst line. Do you have a best line, John? And say it in Norwegian. Um, I'm going to have to let you down on one of those. Um, because I, I I don't have a good Norwegian accent, and so anything I try is just going to sound like Swedish Chef from the Muppets. So I, I have a couple of exchanges and lines I like. Um, I think my favorite is whenever, uh, during the breakup scene between her and Axel, she says that, she feels like a spectator in her own life, that she feels like a, mm-hmm. a passive character in her own story. Um, 
I'm curious if you have any. Uh... I do have a couple. Okay. One's, one's kind of serious, and then one not so much. But I did love the line where um, Oxwell says, I always worried something would go wrong, but the things that went wrong were never what I worried about. I just felt that. Yeah, and that's level. and that's and that's why I asked you to go to say to say your lines just in case I needed to find the backup. So. Um, and then the other one was uh, when she was getting mansplained about what mansplaining was, <laughs> and she said, <laughs> "If men had periods, we we'd, we'd uh, hear all about them." Yeah, I, I think her entire rant there was a hundred percent true. <laughs> But that was pretty much God, it. I mean, the I mean, the man cold is bad enough. Could you imagine the man period? Oh my gosh. Ew. Uh, so um, there was there was a line. Um, this line did make me laugh the first time I watched the film. After the kid in the beginning of the film is having an absolute shit fit, uh, Oxel just goes, <laughs> "Kids can be intense." <laughs> um. And there's one, and you know, I know that it probably uh, another one I liked uh, is uh, Karian, who's the lady who um, got her head smashed with the light. In the, oh right, uh, she, yeah. Yeah, she asked, uh, "Is there anything you'd like to do as a career?" And her husband was like, uh, "Questions, questions, Karian. That question was vulgar when we were students." <laughs> which is, which is a very. A very European sentence, uh, you know, and I'm do- and I'm basing this off the English language, but it just like that line very much fits in this film. Did you have any more lines? No, and I don't really have a worse line. I don't either, because um, and honestly, uh, finding best lines and worst lines was kind of hard in this because um, everything is so well written. That nothing stood out as like the grandiose you can't handle the truth kind of moment. I think the closest thing was um, two of the lines we picked about feeling like a spectator in their own life and um, the one you stole from me. <laughs> so I don't have any worse lines either. Um, now that I've ruined um that and the good, bad, and the ugly. I suppose. Do you have anything else for our final segment? Um, yeah, and there's some some of the segments I kind of want to ask you about, um, or, or at least bring up. Um, so there was a chapter in which after Axel and Ansel broke up, or uh, Axel and Julie broke up. Who the fuck is Ansel? <laughs> anyway, after the t- they broke up. She sees him on television on a interview talking about because he uh, was drawing a comic book called Bobcat, which um, the only way I can describe it, and I know this is going to be nothing to you probably, is it felt like the kind of comic book that Fantagraphics would have put out a long time ago, where it was shocking, edgy humor, um, like Robert Crumb, but better. Um, And uh, they were making a movie of said comic book, and um, he was getting t- attacked on the uh, sexism that was in the comics, and he was not doing the best job at defending himself, but 
I kind of agreed with where he was coming from. Like he was using those to get his dark impulses out. It's not necessarily what he thought or felt. Right. Yeah. And then, um, but it did bring up uh, one thing that I really was kind of glad that, that is touched on. Like he said, for example, he could have been drawing a cartoon of that interview and called them a whore. And all the radio host was focused on is that he said the word whore. And not the context of why he said the word whore. And of course, I do love the, the other radio hosts. I think, oh, I think the term sex worker now. <laughs> That was just, like, a very good, I don't know, it was a very good illustration of where we're at right now, which we're not going to get into, but. Well, I kind of wanted to get into it a little bit in 1996. Now, I mean, there's one song that we can go after Jello for, even though in the context of the song, like, I get why he, why he, a white man, used the N-word, but. Um, I know in the 80s he was doing it to be shocking and in 2022 and I get where Oxel was coming at defending his old comic books like I believe uh, the movie says one of the characters was like what Pedo the Parrot or something yes like I don't see him coming up with and this is actually a great conversation because a lot of people are having this conversation in the metal community um, Ian, uh, Scott Ian from the band Anthrax was in a side band called Stormtroopers of Death and they released uh, several albums. The most notable album they released is called Speak English or Die. And it was written mocking right-wing racists um, who didn't like immigrants. Or, I mean, there's a song on there called Fuck the Middle East. And it was all tongue-in-cheek satire. And that is uh, one of those things that if you just take it at face value, you're like, wow, these guys are horrible. And Ian said, you couldn't do that now. And I agree, you couldn't do that now. But in the 80s, I, you know, we kind of had a more accepting understanding of satire. Like, we understood this is not how they really feel. They're making fun of something. Right. Mm-hmm. And Which is, it's much harder to do now. Yeah. I mean, you almost have to... St- because it, it, it does lose something if you're, you know, if, sto- if SOD was going to go out there and, you know, play the entire Speak English or Die album live, you know, for the new fans, they're going to have to say, the song is not about how we really feel. We're making fun of the people who feel this way. Anyway, this is fuck the Middle East. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whereas in, you know, early 1991, I've seen live footage of Stormtroopers of Death going, the song is called Speak English or Die, and then they just played the damn song. <laughs> so, but can, but can you imagine, you know, just these broken, you know, Gen X and boomers, you know, playing their old stuff and just having to do the content warning? Yes. <laughs> is that going to happen to Trent Reznor one day, where he just says, I don't actually want to fuck anyone like an animal. I was on heroin. That's really what this is about. Anyway, here's closer. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Um, Yeah. Um, Anyway, back to the movie we're talking about. Um, I love the the differences between the relationship with uh, that Julie has with her parents. Um, 
in which the mother seems to be very supportive, even as she's changing majors left and right. It's just like, as long as you're committed to this, I'm, I'm 100% behind you. Whereas uh, her dad will make every excuse in the world to not even come visit. Like, they have to go to him, you know, he, and he just shows that he doesn't give a shit about his first daughter, whereas his, the youngest daughter, her stepsister, um, is it stepsister or half-sister? Half-sister. I'm not sure. Um, um, well, if, if he had married her mom, stepsister, um, he's more interested in her football career than he is because in that scene she even accidentally lets it slip but that the reason that he didn't come visit on her birthday was not because of his back but it was because he was at her soccer match right I kind of love the one chapter that's not about Julie um, where where it shows uh, everything leading up to Elvin's inevitable breakup with uh, his yoga and uh, culturally aware girlfriend. <laughs> um, yes, I, I, I love that. It's like, like crunchy yeah. person, meat person that is so crunchy that even crunchy people can't stand you. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I, I kind of related to him so much on that level, of course, because, you know, when you're like, I want to be the person that does good in this world and tries to make this place, this world a better place. But also, I don't give a shit if batteries have blood on their hands. We need this to make shit work. <laughs> it's like, there is a line in the sand. Oh, I, that, that was my other favorite line. I forgot to mention it whenever uh, the narrator was talking about his, you know, then girlfriend. He was like, the entirety of Western guilt sat beside him on the couch. <laughs> I also thought that the whole um, fantasy sequence whenever they were tripping on mushrooms was, you know, both gross and hilarious, but um, it was over the top, but I thought it fit. And I, I think that that sequence in cartoon, um, Bobcat eats animated baby and... Uh, she uses menstrual blood as war paint before confronting her father. That made more sense to me than sniffing someone's armpit. Like, I didn't even question any of that. I wore it as much as I questioned the the armpit pee scenario. Fair. Yeah. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about? Um, well, for the good section, I mean, I mostly covered it with the cinematography. Um... I mean, I really liked the structure of this film. Like I said, like, I liked how it walked through it. I liked what it was about. I mean, it was realistic, but not in a way that was turned you off to what was going on. I mean, Mm. these were fallible people, but they were fallible like everybody's fallible they were very easily relatable um Mm -hmm. characters so yeah and and as far as what i didn't like i would say the only thing i didn't care for is for a film with narration there was a little bit of lack of exposition 
I had a little bit of trouble following the timeline. Sometimes it jumped a little too much. And it was a little bit disconnected, like the parts of the, her story you were paying attention to. So that was the only thing I kind of missed. I, I think in terms of that, it, the, the film told us everything they important parts of Julie's life because you know the rest of it was probably like here she is working in the bookstore again. Someone's ordering a John Grisham novel in Norwegian. I know when we were watching it, you. The movie was going. You said that the. I, I believe uh, your predictions were either that. Uh, what were your predictions? I know at one point she said you, it wasn't that she wasn't going wrong. to end up with either of them. Yeah, you, I wasn't you entirely wrong. I was wrong and right at the same time. My yeah. original prediction was she was going to go back to Anksel, um, and she kind of did. Because she yeah. was going to basically go on her adventure. She was going to discover that all they had was bad timing. And yeah. that, you know, this other thing was a wonderful fantasy, but he was reality, which she did discover. Yeah. It just kind of got, it was too yeah. late. You know, mm. he was already dying. Uh, yeah. Did you see him getting sick end up coming? With either one of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, she got to spend part of his last days with him so right and he confessed to her that she was the love of his life did you see him getting sick and dying coming at all no yeah, yeah i didn't see that coming either i gotta say the the 12th chapter in which um you know she's had now it's the 12th carriage it's the 12th chapter where she has a miscarriage but that's also where He's just so tired and broken. Like, that is the most depressing and hard-to-watch chapter in this movie for me. Uh, just to see this guy knowing he's going to die, saying, I want to live. And then he pauses like he's trying to get his words, but you realize he's saying, I want to live, but I want to live in my flat and live with you. Right. And, and that's just so heartbreaking. And then... You know, she loses the baby, and it's just like she's she's kind of lost everything. But at the same time, she did kind of find herself in the end. I think in a good place, mentally, emotionally, the, and like that's what I would call the end cathartic <clears throat> because um, she got closure. Mm. And I will say, for as predictable as it was. Um, the baby, not the miscarriage, but the baby that um, the other guy had didn't have enough guard, but um, the ending made sense, you know, like Elvin ended up with mm -hmm. somebody that he seemed happy with. She finally figured out her place. Yeah, and, so and that was I, the... I, it kind of worked. Yeah, and I think that was the whole purpose of the movie was to, you know, it was people finding their, per you know, their purpose in this world and it's not necessarily a bad thing to find out that you know your purpose is to not be with this one person so and as for bad and ugly with me obviously the, the only part of this movie I can't Every, I, I love this movie. I, I think I've, it's probably abundantly clear in this point. The only thing I cannot stand is that sequence in chapter two 
where they're sniffing each other's armpits and then watching each other pee. Like, that, to me, is just stupid. Like, I think they're... I, I think I would have preferred something a little bit more Hollywood and traditional in terms of them figuring out where the lines of cheating are because that's the those two moments just feel very out of place and weird. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I'm not kink shaming anyone if that's their thing. It's just, it's just it annoyed me. <laughs> But if that's your thing, go for it. <laughs> so is the time to ask the big question? I'm ready if you are. All right. Sock Puppet Joseph, real life Sammy, did you survive the worst person in the world? Well, um, I don't know about Sock Puppet Joseph. Uh, yeah, I survived it, and that was all the information I got. <laughs> um. Because John didn't ask a follow-up question. Um, so, oh, good. I'm glad you survived it. He didn't Stop have to throw you Joseph. under the bus like that. No, I know. Oh. That was rude. <laughs> Sammy? Yes, I survived. You know, it, <laughs> would I watch this movie again on my own? I'm not sure. Would If a group of people wanted to watch it together, would I even complain or bat an eye? No. Um, it's a good movie. I liked the way that it was done. Um, and that's the main reason I survived. Survived Like, qualitatively, there's just nothing I can argue with this movie. It was a little slow. Um, but I still liked it. Like, I'm glad I saw it. There was no. nothing offensive about this movie at all. Except for maybe the armpits and the thing. Right. It's just, you know, it takes a little effort to watch. you got to really pay attention. So it's just not going to be on my regular watch list. Well, as for me, uh, I know I brought up earlier about how I have this ongoing list on Letterboxd uh, where I rank the films I've seen that were released this year, mostly just to kind of help me keep track of where everything is. And after a certain point in that list, there's a whole bunch of shit that is just like, eh, I can just move this around day to day based on how I feel. The worst person in the world is currently setting as my third favorite film of 2022, sandwiched between The Northman and Top Gun Maverick. You couldn't find three. Actually, uh, with everything, uh, uh, everything everywhere all at once through Top Gun Maverick, you can't find four more different films <laughs> if you tried. But, no, I really love this film. Uh, I am looking forward to taking a break from it because, like I said, I've watched it four times in the last three weeks. But, no, I, I really enjoyed this film. And makes me want to go see more Yoakam Trier films and makes me hope that um, Renata Reins uh, starts doing more films as well. So, yeah. So, did you have anything you wanted to shout out this week? No, not this week. I, I had a thought about it. I, 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 part of me wants to go on the nope rant right now, um, and part of me doesn't. I will just say that Jordan Peele's uh, latest film, I enjoyed watching it. I want. I wish I had seen the film that um, 
a lot of people are giving the four and a half and five star ratings to because um, while I don't think anything was necessarily bad in that movie, it's a film where I'm like, this either needed to be 15 minutes shorter or a half an hour longer, and I'm not sure which. And uh, I enjoyed watching it, and I want to see it again to really kind of sink my teeth and cement my feelings. But as for right now, I was like, it, it, was, it was okay. It was not bad. It, I, it was not as good as I wanted it to be. I think I went into it with too high of expectations. And that's all I got. But what do we have for the next week? All right. So next week, um, we have Carlito's Way. Oh, this is a real person, Joseph's uh, manly movie of the month. Yeah, I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing this film again, um, which um, I, the first time I watched it, I think I was like a senior in high school because I was really getting into Pacino and De Niro films, and uh, this was on the list. And this is, his, this is Pacino's other big film he made with Brian De Palma, um, also about drugs, but um, no rappers have turned this into their persona, so... And and I think it's honestly better than Scarface. So, but that's also having seen Scarface recently and not Carlito's Way in at least twenty years. So this will be an interesting revisit for me. All right. And with that being said, listeners, thank you for uh, coming back one more week and putting up with our shenanigans. Uh, Sammy, thank you for doing the episode with me. And Joseph, uh, you see what you did to Sammy. She had to re- she had to do your sock puppet voice. I know. I feel like I'm owed at least one film for that. Right? Wait, no. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're already going to make him do the re-choice later. So, until next week, listeners, thank you. All right, well, we will see you later. Surviving Chick Flicks is brought to you by The Circle of Jug. The show is edited by John, and all clips used are the property of their copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the show. If there's anything you would like us to cover on the show, or just drop us a line at survivingchickflicks at gmail.com. The show is copyright 2022. Circle of Jug Productions, all rights reserved.